Hello, and welcome to the More Than Books podcast. I'm your host, Joel, as usual, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Colin. Thanks for having me back. No problem. Today, we're going to dive into a fun, somewhat library-related topic. Uh, Colin, do you know the significance of January 1st, 2019? And I know that that's kind of funny asking if you know the significance, because we've obviously talked about the topic ahead of time. Right. But for the sake of a jumping-off point. Well, other than it being a new year... It is also going to be Public Domain Day 2019, a quote-unquote holiday that hasn't been celebrated in America for quite some time. <laughs> now, why, why is that? Uh, Public Domain Day is the day that um, copyright expires on previously copyrighted works, which means that they are accessible to anyone in the public domain. They are no longer owned works. They are kind of owned by everyone and accessible to everyone. So I know uh, public domain is, is a huge uh, it's a huge thing uh, in that you can freely access the works, you can own it, you can give it away for free, you can remix it, you can basically for video, use it for whatever you want, use characters however you want. You can republish it. Yeah, you can republish it and make money off someone else's work if you wanted to. Yep. But uh, it's mainly just giving the art to everybody. It uh, becomes owned by everybody. I know the, the Internet Archive, where our podcast is hosted, does a mm-hmm. great job of um, hosting and indexing public domain works, um, really old movies from the 19, early 1900s, mm-hmm. and uh, books that have been either long out of, out of, uh, out of print, but... Uh, and long out of copyright, you can find them all on the Internet Archive. Not all, well, a lot of them a on the Internet them. Archive, and and I think anyone that spent any amount of time in higher education has probably used like Project Gutenberg to read uh, books for free, or just to download books that you can only find in expensive out of print versions. So um, this kind of annual public domain holiday has been on hold in the U.S. for about. Over a little over 40 years, mainly due to changes in copyright law over that time. Basically, you know, I think it was in the original copyright law. Yeah, 1790. First Copyright Act is passed, um, protecting maps, charts, and books. <laughs> um, it wasn't until the 1800s that like, music and photography could be copyrighted as well. Originally, it was a copyright for 14 years from the work's registration, and then it could be renewed for another 14 years. So a maximum of, what, 28 years that mm-hmm. an, uh, a work could be copyrighted, and then it would enter the public domain. Well, that's, it's a lo- we're a long way away from that now. <laughs> yes. There's been numerous revisions to this copyright law over the years. Um, the second revision was in 1909, and that changed it to... 28 years from the work's registration, and then it could be renewed for another 28 years more. So over 100 years after the original Copyright Act, they just doubled the uh, the amount of time a work could be copyrighted. Mm-hmm. In 1976, there was a major rewrite of this law. Basically, uh, if something was already copyrighted, like if it, if, the, if it had been previously renewed, so from that 28 years and renewed for another 28 years, mm-hmm. um, the person that owns that uh, the copyright automatically got an extra 19 years added onto that. Um, but it changed copyright to, instead of just a set amount of years, it changed it to uh, 50 years after the author's death 
is when an item would expire or enter the public domain, or a maximum of 75 years. So that maximum of 75 years was applied to all pre-existing copyrights. After so, 1923. So that really, I mean, it, it made it very convoluted in 1976 because no other, well, Europe and uh, Canada and most of the rest of the world did not do that like 50 years from the author's death. There was no like setting the copyright from the author's death. They had more set copyright uh, schedules. Right. Um, and that this uh, Copyright Act of 1976 kind of put us out of step with Europe. And again, in 1998, they extended it uh, another 20 years on top of that. So. 70 years from the author's death, mm-hmm. and that was the Sonny Bono Copyright Extent Act extension of uh, 1998, because he was a congressman at the time. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, kind of interesting um, bit of uh, history there. Which one was the Mickey Mouse Protection Act? Was that 1998 or 1976? Yeah, that was the 1998 one, too. Okay. Yeah. That, <laughs> it wasn't, that wasn't the official name of it. I think that was just a name that people gave it jokingly, right. because... It was lobbied very hard by Disney to get this copyright extension so that mm-hmm. they would retain the copyright to their early works and their early characters. Right. Most notably, Mickey Mouse and uh, Steamboat Willie. So the 1998 Copyright Extension Act, uh, the Sonny Bono Copyright Extension Act, changed it to 70 years after an author's death and a maximum of 95 years. So basically, any anything made by a company like will expire after 95 years and enter the public domain. So because of these extensions um, starting in 1976 and the second extension in 1998, Mm -hmm. American works have gone into public domain in that time, but never a huge amount of them every year. Uh, Right. Because it's not even just American works. It's, It's dating from... I believe, first publication in America. So you could have a European work, and then when it gets published in America, it gets an American copyright as well. Uh, so it'll be released into the public domain much earlier in Europe, <laughs> and then take many, many, many years more to be released into the public domain in America. So I know that's caused all sort of problems, especially in, you know with the internet now, where mm-hmm. if something enters the public domain in Europe, it's basically in the public domain everywhere. But right. in... America and the United States, uh, it may not be in the public domain here, but then we can just go to a British website or an Australian website and download it. Which is technically <laughs> technically illegal in the United law. States, yeah. <laughs> but it's freely available online still. So, right. <laughs> so you can see how, how this was very complicated for a number of years. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, there hasn't been another extension and you know, starting in 2019, we're going to hit that uh, new uh, new works entering the public domain. And there's a lot of them that are coming into public domain. Charlie Chaplin's The Pilgrim, Cecil B. DeMille's original The Ten Commandments, not the Charlton Heston <laughs> remake that he also directed. That'll take a while longer. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll, we'll give that another 20 years. <laughs> um Winston Churchill, uh, The World Crisis, uh, some Carl Sandburg poetry, some Aldous Huxley books. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of notable works from the early 1920s that are going to be uh, entering the public domain and be freely available. Books, music, film scores, you know. Everything photography. You can, yeah, photography, because that's another thing that was 
um, added to the Copyright Act. All of this uh, history and, and culture is going to be in the public domain, freely available. And, assuming there are no more copyright law extensions in America's future, uh, that means that um, in 2020 we're going to be getting works from 1924, and 2021, 1925, so on and so forth. And every year now we're going to get this, this cascade of materials entering the public domain that have been right. on hold for, you know, four decades. So it's, uh, it's a big deal. It's, it's exciting, especially like as time goes on and we start entering, where, where more modern works start entering the public domain. Of course, part of the problem is we're still going to technically be out of step with uh, most of the world. You know, they've had works. A big example is a lot of uh, James Joyce's works in Europe entered the public domain in 2012. Um, we're not going to be getting most of his works here in America in the public domain until, I think, 2030, 2035. So we're still going to be behind, but at least we'll be able to legally go out and search for these older works and have free access to them. That is a complication, yeah. This uh, James Joyce stuff in particular, well, not in particular, but just as one example. Um, <laughs> a pretty notorious example yeah. because his... Um, his son or his... Uh, grandson. Grandson. The, basically the made life very difficult for James Joyce fans and scholars for mm-hmm. many years while his stuff was all copyrighted. There were many celebrations to be had in Europe, and especially in Ireland in 2012, when his stuff finally entered the public domain. He would, like, shut down public readings of James Joyce's work and all of that stuff. So, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, interesting story there. <laughs> yeah, go Wikipedia at some time. It's pretty fascinating. So I guess the big question then for us is why... Do we care about public domain other than the fact that it can potentially save us some money, both as consumers and as people who work in libraries? Uh, Well, I think as a librarian, I find the preservation of these materials interesting, but also just making it available and accessible. Mm -hmm. Um, It really is a callback to our history, to our cultural history, which, I mean, we can look back and see, uh, read the books, you know, that uh, our grandparents read and watch the movies that our grandparents watched um, and really see where we came from as a, as a culture and how, how things have progressed. It's, That's definitely the librarianship side of it. <laughs> uh, the other, I, the, the principal thing that I'm interested in there, since I do a little bit of work with archives, is the preservation aspect of things where you know, you've got films that have never been digitized but are still in copyrights, but their copyright owners aren't doing anything with them. So presumably they're just disintegrating. Yeah. And no one is being able to preserve these films for future viewing. And this, this time period in the 1920s, there, there are so many lost films due to that because the film stock that they used very, very apt to fall apart. And, mm-hmm. you know, age does not play well with film stock. Yeah, so there's a lot of lost movies, and just being able to have the legal protection to preserve them for someone that isn't the copyright holder is is a massive change. Preservation and accessibility, I'd say, are the two most important, or two of the most important aspects of, uh, well, the public domain. And then even speaking from a standpoint with which I have no 
familiarity, the standpoint of being a copyright holder and making money off your work. It's arguably a good thing for, um, for companies and copyright holders as well, um, because it can increase the popularity of your works massively. Um, you may not be alive to necessarily see that explosion of popularity happen, but um, there have been stories in the past of uh, movies benefiting from this. They would fall out of copyright because their copy- copyrights weren't renewed. And they play them on TV, and they suddenly, play them on TV, and they yeah. become huge hits. Wasn't that uh, like, isn't that like, it's a Wonderful Life? How that originally started getting super popular? Yes, I believe so. It's a Wonderful Life. Um, I think there's been even some more recent examples of that. Like I think um, George Romero's Night of the Living Dead was a kind of later example of the same thing happening, where it fell out of copyright very quickly, or was maybe improperly copyrighted. Either way, it became a hugely popular cult hit because there was no copyright on it. Yeah, you could do free showings, you could put it on TV and not have to worry about paying somebody to show it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's, <laughs> there's a, lot of, uh, a lot of art that has uh, benefited from that. Interestingly, um, in the case yeah. of It's a Wonderful Life, um, after it became popular due to mm-hmm. it falling out of copyright, it was then re-copyrighted and taken back out of the public domain. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just think of, like, too, like, movies um, that are just big mashups of, like, there's a reason that there's been so many, like, movies and, like, horror movies and things that use, like, the Dracula character or the mummy characters, because those characters have been long out of copyright. Uh, The characters are in public domain. The the early movies probably are are still copyrighted, but uh, anybody can use those characters in anything. Yeah, one of the more kind of famous examples of that is the uh, black and white silent film Nosferatu which was a adaptation of Dracula but at the time that movie came out Dracula was not in the public domain as of yet um, so they had to change all the character names and all that kind of stuff and then when that film was remade in the I think it like eh, late 70s to mid 80s um, they were able to then actually have his name be Count Dracula once again and position it as a straightforward retelling of Dracula rather than as this Nosferatu thing. Um, <laughs> but now that Nosferatu has its own like following yes. outside of Dracula, <laughs> yep. because it was in a so- somewhat original work, even if it was a little derivative based off of uh, uh, a character at the time that was in copyright. No, it, I mean, it's kind of fascinating. I think of like movies like uh, Ready Player One that came out this year where they put in a ton of characters that were all owned by different... Uh, different corporations and they had to get permission to use all of those characters or storylines right the reason there's a big reason why a lot of what they used was from i think dreamworks or universal yes uh, because they already had the copyright to it yep (laughs) but uh for things like they had like video game characters show up in it that's clearly not owned by uh by the movie company Mm -hmm. Uh, they had to get permission uh, it's one of those things where down the line in the future, like if once characters start falling out of copyright, you can use them in your own work. So you can almost make fan fiction with them that can be legitimate or legitimate sequels of something that someone else made a long time ago. Yeah, that uh, a little while ago, a few years ago, Alan Moore, who's a comic book writer, uh, wrote a book that featured like Alice from Alice in Wonderland and a few other of those characters in it. Wendy from Peter Pan, 
and someone else that I'm forgetting. Wendy from Wizard of Oz in it. Was that a, a later League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, or was that a, a different series? That was a different series. I know. I know. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen like started with a lot of characters out of the pu- like that were in the public domain, mm-hmm. um, and then by the end of it, what he had like Harry Potter in it and stuff. Oh, did he really? Yeah. <laughs> I haven't read any of the, any of the newer ones. So I'm, it I'm may not have been. Sure. He may not have been called Harry Potter, uh, but he was obviously Harry Potter, yeah. just the different name. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> oh. Actually, he was the Antichrist, <laughs> oh. <laughs> in a, which is kind of hilarious. But uh, he is never directly named in any League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Uh, the Antichrist is clearly a twisted, parodic version of the famous boy wizard Harry Potter. <laughs> Fascinating. Yeah, sounds like I'm going to have to read so those later. That's some twisted, of... uh, twisted comic book logic there. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like the authors would have to um, basically take these characters and change them so they're unrecognizable, even though they're still recognizable, just to avoid being sued. Right. Um, whereas once they fall out of copyright, imagine like when it, whenever Harry Potter will come out of copyright in a hundred years. <laughs> uh, <laughs> imagine what people could do with that character. Um, and not even what they could do with the character, but just the value and having that work be owned by everyone so that you can get these you know, great publishers that come back in and restore these texts and publish them in really nice editions. Oh, yeah, yeah. I have a bunch of those old like bound leather versions. I have like a, a Grimm's fairy tale exactly. bound leather book that's really nice. That, <laughs> Of course, you have to watch out for the publishers that do an awful job of it yeah, um, yeah. and totally botch everything. I had an edition of Dubliners once that uh, they rearranged all of the... Um, short stories so that they were in alphabetical order uh, rather than the original published order and then um, I think either added or took out a lot of the punctuation as well. Oh, that sounds awful. <laughs> yeah. So you got to watch out for stuff like <laughs> yeah. that. Uh, recently, I think that happened with um, an edition of uh, Darwin's Origins of Species as well where very conservative Christian groups were publishing it but they were publi- publishing it with you know, introductions talking about why it was so bad and why it was so wrong and uh, all this stuff. And then they were selectively editing the text itself to make it sound unreasonable or yeah. ridiculous or whatever the case may and, be. And while that may be perfectly legal for it is. Uh, yeah. Yeah, for public domain works, it's there's some... I'd say there's some issue with... I take some issue with that. Yeah, I take some personal issue changing, with that. Changing people's... Uh, basically using... Like changing people's original intentions and words. Right. Yeah. But I, that's the trade-off that you have to accept when you also want to be able to go out and buy mm-hmm. a really nice edition of something that's in the public domain that's been treated with a lot of respect and care. Yeah. Um, and uh, the market speaks. A lot of those really bad editions of books... Uh, don't sell very well or don't last very long because no yeah. one buys them because they're shoddily put together. Or, you know, I mean, that that may be the worst case scenario. And yeah. then, you know, a medium case scenario is, you know, you get something like Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Where, okay, it's, uh, they changed the, the work quite a bit, but... Uh... <laughs> that's, that's a whole world that I didn't realize existed until yeah. like three or four weeks ago. That kind of... They made a movie out of it. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, they, there was a movie adaptation of Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Wow. Which was a book that was made uh, by taking Pride and Prejudice... I guess maybe I was... rewriting part of it to add zombies. I don't think I was 
necessarily aware of that, but mm-hmm. I guess I was roughly aware of that trend in general where they take either historical characters or historical literature and then throw in zombies and vampires and werewolves and sea monsters and whatnot. Sense and sensibility and sea monsters. Yeah, I, I've heard one. about that one. Yeah. But there was that there was that movie that had something to do with Abraham Lincoln. Abraham and Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Yeah. yeah. So. I think that was the same author that wrote that wrote in quotation marks, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Right. <laughs> yeah. But they're creating something new yeah. with a um, with a work, and they've made something, I guess, cool out of it. It's not for me, but I know that those books are extremely popular. Uh, we've got some library staff that are big fans. Yeah. Um, a work that I do like quite a bit, um, and I wish I had the author's name in front of me, but I don't. It's a book called The Humument, where he took an old um, public domain, uh, like a Victorian era book that no one read anymore, no one cared about, and he drew over all the pages, like coloring a lot of the words out and leaving just a select few words here and there, and kind of made a new novel out of the existing novel. And it was a really interesting book. I can't imagine the amount of work that would have to go into doing oh, something like that. He went through like, <laughs> I think, eight editions of it, too. Wow. The edition that I own is the eighth edition. And every edition is radically different from the previous one. Like, the story keeps changing and evolving. This most recent edition that I have of it had, like, references to, like, Facebook and 9-11 and stuff. And it was just all words that he pulled out of this obviously much older work. Wow. Uh, it's interesting stuff. And it's great. It's much better than the original work, probably. Yeah. So. So these are, like, things you can do with uh, <laughs> with works in the public domain. Right. I also think of, you know, especially, like, old movies, like, being able to, like, pull out scores and things like that. Like, make you could do, like, a whole, the whole Quentin Tarantino thing where he, like, reshoots, like scenes that are very much based on old movies and yeah. but like you could you could take the original music and maybe like characters and just do complete remixes of uh of old movies and make something of your own with it and i would imagine that a lot of those old movies don't even have like official soundtrack releases as well um so and that's a shame because a lot of old movies had fantastic scores so maybe we'll start seeing a a lot of new soundtrack releases in the in the next 10 to 20 years from very old movies coming out, which I'll be excited about. There's always bootlegs, but yeah. it's nice to own things legally. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and to pay someone for the work that they put into something. Yeah. Um, which kind of paradoxically, uh, things being in the public domain allows for, um, it allows for people to continue to benefit even monetarily from these works that are freely available. So I know that... Um well, with Disney owning everything, and they used to be very litigious, and they probably still are very litigious about things they oh, own the copyright to. And, absolutely. Um, it was interesting because, you know, Disney bought Star Wars, and Star Wars, when it was owned by George Lucas, was one of these things that he very often let people use the license of, sometimes free of charge, like, just let people, like, I know that mm. Family Guy did a whole bunch of episodes of redoing star wars episode like star wars movies as a family guy episode i feel like that's that was something, licensed yeah i feel really? like that it was official yeah i feel like that's something oh. disney would never have allowed probably not <laughs> no. i just assumed that was par- i never watched it i just parody, assumed it was parody yeah. and i assumed they changed all the characters names no, and everything. Yeah. <laughs> they really? didn't change the characters names yeah oh wow yeah i might have to watch that yeah they did uh <laughs> all of the original trilogy wow <laughs> 
No, I can't imagine. I can't Disney imagine ever doing that. But that's something like eventually, when that enters uh, public domain, it'll be something that anybody can use. Whenever Star Wars enters public domain. Well, I mean, we can roughly figure out how long that'll be. It'll be a long time from now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> you and I will probably be uh, gone from this world by the time that happens. So in a situation like that, where I guess Star Wars, if it was um, copyrighted originally by George Lucas, uh, would have expired 70 years after the eventual death of George Lucas. But now that Disney bought it, does that change? Like, this is things I'm thinking about. I'm like, man, copyright law is really complicated. It's super complicated. Since Disney bought the copyright from George Lucas, does it still expire 70 years after George Lucas's death? Or we, does it now expire 95 years? We should have brought in our copyright <laughs> expert. We've got one on staff. <laughs> Why didn't we think of this until just this moment? Um, yeah. I think it depends on what version of Star Wars you're talking about. I think if yeah. you're talking about the original theatrical edits... And the re-edits oh, yeah, done by George even, Lucas. Every single version is probably copyrighted yes. differently or separately. I would expect so. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. That's so, so many complications. Because I'm thinking about Marvel, too. Like all the, So, you know, Captain America was originally created back in the 1930s. But now Disney owns the character. <laughs> well, and it's crazy to think yeah. that... Uh, it's not going to really be too far off that some of those uh, kind of mainstay comic book characters will be uh, begin to slowly enter the public domain as well. Um, yeah, I, I bet. believe in Europe, Wonder Woman is in the public domain. I believe. Yeah. Maybe not the character. The character might be trademarked, but the early Wonder Woman stories are definitely in the public domain. <laughs> um, yeah, trademarking is a whole other ball game. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I know that. Uh, I think I read that. Um, Disney probably will not try to extend the uh, Copyright Act again, so they'll, they're going to let Steamboat Willie and the original like Mickey Mouse shorts enter the public domain in, uh, what, 2024 or whenever that's yes, set, to, I believe so, set to enter the public domain. But uh, they have a trademark on Mickey Mouse, so they're not actually going to lose their ownership of the character. Right. But the Yeah, what's going to happen is, yeah. so Steamboat Willie, which was the first Mickey Mouse cartoon, is going to enter the public domain. Um, that doesn't mean that everyone immediately owns Mickey Mouse. <laughs> uh, Disney will still have full control over Mickey Mouse and can still sue you if you're if you're using Mickey Mouse in context that they don't approve of. But it means that you will uh, be free to remix or take elements from Steamboat Willie and incorporate that into art if you wanted to. Yeah, I'm just thinking about like there was a game that came out this year called Cuphead. Yeah, which was like a. It had an old-school vibe, um, like a side-scroller type game, but uh, the graphics in it, the all the um, there, there were hand-animated cartoons that were in the style of 1920s cartoons. Yes. Um, very colorful, lots of music, and, you know, lots of crazy animation. It looked like you were just watching a 1920s cartoon, yeah. but you were playing a game. Yeah. So I, I imagine, like... That's a way that you could update something like Steamboat Willie in a in a modern context, like make a yeah. make a video game in that kind of art style. I was reading a, a, a fascinating article that I did not print out for some stupid reason and bring to this <laughs> uh, podcast recording, where they were talking about um, game adaptations of literature, specifically with regards to Jane Austen and how there are people who are very eager to put together Jane Austen video games and whatnot. And I think some of that's probably already happened. Um, but then, you know, there's game developers who want to get their hands on, going back to James Joyce, they want to get their hands on Ulysses and make like this simulation of 
1920s or 1910s uh, Dublin and you know all this stuff. I would say uh, Ulysses video that. game sounds like the worst video game ever. I would I would <laughs> I would play and love that video. You game. would ha- it would have to be like designed so that you have no idea what's happening the entire time. <laughs> like it has to be completely unintelligible. Only, only at the ending. Only yeah. at the ending. Most of most of Ulysses isn't that yeah. bad. Finnegan's Wake. Finnegan, okay, uh, yeah, I'm singing up with Finnegan's Wake. <laughs> yeah. No, Finnegan's Wake. Yeah. That can, that, yeah, that should just stay a book. I haven't made it through either of those. I've I've only read Portrait of an Artist and uh, Dubliners. Those, I, that's the extent of my James Joyce. I, I would say go for Ulysses. It's not that bad. <laughs> Everyone says it's real bad. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> Finnegan's Wake. That's the one I was thinking of. <laughs> Finnegan's Wake. I recommend you read with two people and you both read it out loud to one another. That is the only way you're going to make sense of that book. <laughs> That was a tangent. Yeah, I know. Well, <laughs> on the topic of video games, I know there's a reason they keep making HP Lovecraft everything. Like yes, video games, board games, yeah, books in the Cthulhu universe. It's technically movies as well. Yeah, movies. It's because all of that stuff is in public domain. Mm-hmm. And Ditto with Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, yeah. Poe obviously isn't as popular among video game, board game, and movie makers perhaps as HP Lovecraft is, <laughs> but. Um, you see a lot of elements of those early horror writers in yeah. a lot of modern culture because it's all public domain. Everyone owns that stuff. That was interesting because, uh, yeah, you mentioned Edgar Allan Poe. Mm-hmm. Um, in the uh, Netflix show uh, adaptation of um, that sci-fi book, cyberpunk book. Um, Altered Carbon. Or Altered Carbon, yeah. In the book, uh, there's this sentient hotel that uh, is run by an AI, Mm-hmm. Um, and in the book, it's called the Hendrix, and it's all Jimi Hendrix themed. And the uh, AI is is uh, a version of Jimi Hendrix. But in the TV show, they use Edgar Allan Poe, sure. and it's called the uh, the Raven or something like that. It's um, the hotel, uh, and I, that's basically they did that just because the character was like they didn't want to get try to get the rights or permission to use Jimi Hendrix's likeness in the yeah. TV show, whereas. Uh, yeah, if Edgar Allan Poe, fair game. If you've ever wondered why when you watch uh, movies or television and it's someone's birthday, you either never hear them sing happy birthday or they sing a different song, like, you know, for he's a jolly good fellow or whatever, it's because the happy happy birthday song is uh, copyrighted. Yeah, I, it's like Warner Brothers or something. I believe so, <laughs> Like some yeah. record record company owned by a I movie studio that owns it and makes yeah. a ton of money every time someone uses it. Right, exactly. Yeah, that... Uh, that's one of those situations of people really <laughs> kind of uh, taking advantage of copyright law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't think that enters public domain until I want to say 2030-ish, somewhere yeah. in that range. <laughs> then maybe we'll finally start getting realistic movie birthday scenes where people actually <laughs> sing real birthday songs. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like at that point we'll just have to continue doing other songs just to keep the trend alive <laughs> of, uh, you know, it, it's more of a... a um, just a meme now at this point yes, in, in movies. It <laughs> it's just like how a lot of movies yeah. have to throw in at least one Wilhelm scream in, them, oh, in yeah. there somewhere. Um, yeah, I yeah, actually, right. now that I notice that every time, it takes me out of it every time I hear it. It's ruined movies for yeah. me. Yeah, <laughs> I can't watch movies anymore. <laughs> no movies. Never. <laughs> <laughs> Small details like that always really get to me. It's like, this is the same scream I've heard in almost every movie since the 1940s. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Like some Western that was the first one that did it. Yeah. yeah. And then, of course, it's happened in all the Star Wars movies and 
Yeah. I feel like pretty much every action movie of the last 10 to 20 years is thrown in there because it's a laugh. You know, yeah. people go to see movies and they love movies and they expect that they're going to have these little Easter eggs in them uh, <laughs> just for the movie fans. Yeah. If you don't know what a Wilhelm scream is... Uh, go to YouTube and yeah. look it up and you'll probably find a ton of compilations of yep. of uh, of that scream being used in a ton of movies. <laughs> and there are some other screams that are also used in other movies. It's just that's the most famous of them. Yeah. I mean, I am glad that uh yeah that uh, copyright is finally changing in the u.s and things will be entering in the public domain it's been a long time coming for for a lot of this stuff to start entering the public domain and uh i know that i, I think i read that google books already has a ton of stuff digitized and ready on to hold go. ready to go Ooh, so january 1st oh, a bunch of stuff is just going to enter I google books public domain that they, they've already that. scanned and have ready to upload i spend way too yeah. much time on google books just <laughs> like reading like the first 25 to 50 pages of a book see if i like it because usually even if it's copyrighted you can still read you know the first chapter or two of the book yeah um, they let you a lot of a lot of them will let you um check out a sample or see yeah. like a first chapter and google books gives you more than the amazon previews do so if you've ever oh, yeah. wanted to figure out if you really wants to read a book or that you might like a book before you buy it on Amazon, go look it up on Google Books first. You can get way further into it that way. You know, the topic of Amazon brings up another interesting public domain thing that I had noticed. Mm-hmm. you got to be careful with public domain works yes. on Amazon because, as we mentioned, you know, you can republish public mm-hmm. domain works. And Amazon has their whole self-publishing platform. Yeah. And a lot of people have taken a, f- a famous work that, at like, you know, and uploaded it onto Amazon and sold it as a Kindle ebook and charge charging money for something that's in the public domain. Right. And Amazon lets them because it's legal, I guess, yep. and makes them money. But uh, there's a lot of like public domain works that people are trying to charge you for on Amazon that you could get for free through the Internet Archive or through um, Project Gutenberg, right. which I also highly recommend. If you haven't checked out Project Gutenberg, do it. And it's not even that they might be charging you a lot of money for this book, whether it's a physical book or a Kindle book, but um, usually it's undergone a really terrible um, text recognition job because what they do is they take scans from old editions of these books, run them through a text recognizer, and then just print them as is, which sometimes if you're like me and you're really desperate to read like some stupid like 16th or 17th century book that no one cares about, you bite the bullet anyways because you just really want to have it in your hands and read it, and sometimes it turns out okay. Sometimes they actually had a human look at it and edit it, and it's fine. Other times you'll, you know, get one of these books, and uh, like every e in the text will be a three or something, and they printed it that way and sold it to you and charged you money for it. <laughs> uh, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, so that's a good reason to yeah go to Project Gutenberg yep. rather than buy the the ebook off Amazon. Yeah. If or find a reputable yeah. publisher of old books, uh, so. public domain books and buy from them. Yeah, Project Gutenberg, um, gutenberg.org, it's a website that has uh, thousands of free ebook versions of uh, books that are in public domain. Yeah, but yeah, check that out. It's worth browsing, especially if you have a Kindle or a e-reader of some sort because mm-hmm. you can just download it and uh yeah you can download it to your device right really easy well do we have any other thoughts about uh public domain and copyright what happens if uh like within the next few years uh disney decides that well 
we want to see if we can get a copyright extension after all um, so that we can continue to have rights over Steamboat Willie and it can't go public domain. Uh, we know, or we think we know, that they're not doing it this year, but Steamboat Willie doesn't enter public domain until, like we said earlier, 2024. What happens if in 2023 Disney goes to Congress and... Uh, <laughs> and starts pushing for it again? Yeah. Um, what do you think? Do you think that would fly now that the internet is a thing? I um, don't think so. I, I feel think so like either. I feel like it has to stop. I mean, we're finally in line with, with Europe for the most part. Um and and Canada and Australia. Australia, all the big Western yeah, countries. All the, yeah, the big Western countries. Our copyright laws finally mostly aligned with them, so we have the same cycle of uh, of items coming into copyright. Mm-hmm. Uh, Just a few years behind all the rest of the world. Yeah. But, yeah. You know. <laughs> no, I I feel like I mean you never know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Congress changes every couple years. Um, yep. It could happen again. But uh, I feel like it, it would be an uphill battle, and I feel like there'd be a lot more pushback this time around yeah. um, from the public. You know, it'd be a whole lot of call your congressman, and it, I, it'd be like net neutrality all over again, which exactly. is still being fought. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. I, I'm not much of a devil's advocate, because I mm-hmm. do absolutely agree. I mean, the, the previous extensions happened in uh, 1976 and 1998. Um, 1998, of course, the internet was around and people were using it, but it wasn't near what it is today. Yeah. Um, I think if Congress did try to get yet another extension on copyright laws just to appease some of these um, corporations, I do think that there would be quite a bit of uproar from the American public about it. Well, I guess we'll find out here in a couple years. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Keep an eye on Disney. All right. Well, um... Be sure to celebrate Public Domain Day on uh, January 1st next year. Um, so as of recording, it's about six months out or seven months out. But yeah, uh, yeah. so things could change before then, but it's pretty sure that... Uh, it seems unlikely. Yeah, it seems very unlikely that anything's going to change before before the next round of materials enters the public domain. And every year after that, hopefully, uh, we'll yeah. get a whole lot more... That means you'll have a new way to celebrate New Year's every year. You can celebrate New Year's as you always do, and yeah. then also go read an old book or go watch an old movie that you've never yeah. seen before that you can just download online free of charge. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, if nothing else, it's you can browse what's going to be released and see if anything sticks out as uh, as worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, until next time, thanks for listening. Yeah, have a good one. Yeah.